Good evening. Love you. <laughs> Looks like most of the folks who are here have been at prayer this week, and uh, we're just in the process of concluding our five days of prayer for missions. Uh, we had 2,300 hours, 2,320, 2,320 hours as of the last hour, and uh, yeah, that's good. I don't know that that's a record, but what was remarkable to me was the first three days, we had over 500 hours a day, and you divide that by 10 hours, that means we had an average of over, of over typically, 50 hours, prayer hours an hour, and that's, that's commendable and um, remarkable. Um, so um, each time, each hour when we pray, we ask for God's presence. And um, in the Bible, whenever God showed up and interacted with people, the people were changed by the experience. So after um, a few remarks here and, and um, the bread and the cup, I'd like to have devote a little bit of time for you to, think, to share with the group one of two things. One, something you learned about a missionary that you didn't know before. Or two, or both, um, somehow uh, something that changed in you. A uh, commitment or some insight or some perspective that God has given you from having interacted with his presence during this week. When the Bible wants to emphasize a point, they repeat it. When the, when the writers of the scriptures wanted to make a point, they would. They didn't have the usual tools of language that we have. They didn't have exclamation points. They didn't have bold font or underline or italics. And so they they repeated it. And uh, one of the things, that, an example of that, is the Apostle Paul in Galatians one, when he when he's um, challenging the Galatians for their their falling away from his teaching, from the teaching of the gospel. And he says, in verse uh, 8, he says, If we or an angel from heaven proclaim to you a gospel other than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. Accursed is a King James word. The original word is actually much stronger. It means anathema, it means damned. And so, and then he he says that in verse 8, and then he says it again. What I say, once I say to you again, if we or an angel from heaven... Uh, preach to you a gospel other than that which we have preached. Let him be accursed. That's the way they they emphasize points when they were writing in the scriptures. So the apostle John also uses repetition um, in making a couple of points that I'd like to share with you briefly tonight. Before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege of praying this week. And we thank you for the fellowship that we had in that room and for new friendships that were made, new acquaintances and relationships. And we believe that all of that honors you. We thank you for the interaction we had with the missionaries and for the encouragement that we were able to be to them and they to us. And so I pray that your work from this week will be continued into the future, the relationships will expand and grow, that our people will be generous in giving into the 
offering on this weekend, and I just pray that you would continue to bless as you have before our missions ministry. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle John, now there's two things that he did that sort of repeat and emphasize a point. And one was he referred to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And he started that the first time in John 13. He's in the upper room. They're having, um, they're having the last supper. And um, in the course of the conversation, the evening, he says he refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And most of the time growing up, I understood that to mean sort of a measure of of, um, humility. He didn't want to refer to himself by name, and so he would give himself kind of a euphemism, the, uh, the apostle whom Jesus loved, as a way of not kind of blowing his own horn. And I think there may be something to that, but there's another perspective I'd like to share with you as well. The second time he says that is in John 19, verse 26, He's on the cross, and his mother is there. And um, Jesus refers to the mother and to John. He refers to the disciple whom Jesus loved. He makes him, he gives himself that name in that context. A third time is in the, when after the resurrection, Peter and John go to the um, tomb, or Mary it tells them Jesus is gone, is not in the tomb, and makes reference to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And finally, in the last chapter in the book of John, chapter 21, a chapter that I refer to as the restoration of Peter, where Jesus asked Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And um, in that context, they talk about John's death. And he refers to himself again as the disciple whom Jesus loved. What's significant about this is he does it four times in the book of John. And he starts in in John chapter 13. And he never referred to himself by that name any time prior in the book of John. Now, why do you suppose that is? Well, it's been suggested that he referred, made that reference to himself because of the Passion Week. Jesus went through the crucifixion, the upper room, and um, John was the last of the gospel writers. The other three gospels had been written. He had opportunity to see them, to read them, know what they said, and, and he wrote his gospel to emphasize the deity of Christ. And it's been suggested that he was so moved by the sacrifice that Jesus made during the crucifixion, death, resurrection, that he emphasized the love of Jesus for himself because he took it personally. And I like that. I like to think that that was part of his motivation. So um, we could say, we could say that uh, it would be a mistake, I guess, to say that, to conclude that when John was referring to himself in this manner, that he was limiting that perspective just to himself. In the first verse of John 13, he begins the conversation, having loved his own, referring to Jesus, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
And again, in his epistle, first epistle in 1 John 3, he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. The reality is, God loves all of his disciples. He loved, in John 3.16, God so loved the world. God loved everybody, but he had a particular affinity, a particular affection for his disciples. And that would extend to us. So it should affect how we see ourselves, how we see our identity. I could, for example, uh, say, Jack, my friend, is sitting over here, and he is a disciple whom Jesus loved. This is, hi, this is Jack Braun. He's a disciple whom Jesus loved. And that would be accurate to say. But the interesting thing is that's not the whole thing to the story. Because there is a second emphasis that John makes in his gospel that he repeats over and over for emphasis. And that is in John 17. He makes the point that a Christian is a gift of God the Father to God the Son. And he makes this observation verse in, in uh, verse 2. He says, you have granted him authority over all people that he might have give eternal life to all those you have given him. Referring to God the Father. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer in the garden. In verse 6 he says, I, I reveal to the, uh, to I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Verse 6. In verse 9, just a couple verses later, I'm praying not for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. In verse 11, keep them you have given me so that they may be one as you and I are one. And finally, in verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am to see my glory. So I would ask you to consider the fact that he's mentioned this five times in 26 verses. Would it be easy to dismiss this notion of Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, being a gift of God the Father to God the Son? Would that be a a minor item to consider. Measured it five times. Means it's important. It's a big deal. John was unique in making that distinction in writing about Jesus and his relationship to the Father. The problem was that the gift was dirty and it was broken. It was damaged and needed to be repaired. And so Jesus says in verse 19 of that same chapter, he says, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. The gift that the father gave to the son had to be redeemed. And he did that through his blood on the cross. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify the gift of God the father to God the son. So you have the three part of the Trinity involved in this transaction between God the Father and God the Son. You have the Father who gave the gift. You have the Son who redeemed the gift, made it pure. And you have the the Holy Spirit who makes it holy. And so the redemption 
of the gift, the gift from God the Father to God the Son, is part of what we celebrate in this holy tradition of communion in this holy place, this sanctuary. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth in verse 16 of um, of chapter 17. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. Those are the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would this matter? Who cares? God the Father gave us, people sitting in this room who claim Jesus Christ as personal Savior, as a gift to God the Son. What does that mean? What is what is it? What do we do with that? Well, in John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I, if I go, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. Why? So that where I am, there you may be also. In verse uh, chapter 17, verse 24, he says, Father, I want these you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The extraordinary thing of this doctrine that's repeated twice is that God desires fellowship with us. God the Father gave us, gave the redeemed as a gift to God the Son who who purified that through his blood on the cross, which we celebrate here. And then the Holy Spirit has a ministry of sanctification. And so we have the privilege of spending eternity with the triune God. I'd like to introduce you to my friend Jack Braun. He is a disciple whom Jesus loves, but not only that, he is a gift of God the Father to God the Son preserved and sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and made holy through the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that Jack Ron can spend eternity with God the Trinity in heaven. It's an amazing thought. And it's not trivial because its, it's premise is mentioned several times in the book of John. To the extent that this is true, and the extent that it's true of all of us, all everyone who claims uh, salvation by grace through faith, to the extent that that's true, how should we then live? What manner of disciple ought we to be? What should be my attitude toward politics or materialism or my own pride? Well, John, again, offers the suggestion, this time in 1 John, first epistle to John, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and I'll leave you with this uh, to, for consideration. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. First John two, fifteen to seventeen. 
you and I have the privilege of a personal relationship with our creator. We are the disciples whom Jesus loved, like John the Apostle. But not only that, it doesn't end there. We are a gift from God the Father to God the Son, redeemed and sanctified by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, made holy through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, so that we can spend eternity in the presence of the triune God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the teaching of your word. We thank you for John, who, who um, what we think of as the apostle of love. But the consequence of love is that we should be holy. Holiness without love is legalism. And love without holiness is license. And so we ask for your leading through your perfect word, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to set us apart, make us holy and suitable for presence in the, in, for eternity with the triune God. We ask now in Jesus' name, amen.